Welcome to the Enchanted Ears Podcast, where we discuss anything and everything Disney. I'm Angela. And I'm Joan. Sad episode today. Yeah, very sad. This is the first episode that I haven't really wanted to record, because I really am don't fully want to talk about Disney right now or what we're going to talk about. The Star Cruiser, we hardly knew you. March 2022 to September 2023. We have an end date. I don't have any bagpipes. I feel like I should be playing bagpipes. So I'm just going to play my little slide whistle here. I feel like that's a good send off for the Star Cruiser there. (laughs) I wish you could translate facial expressions into words, but... That was. You didn't even try to play like. That was yeah. That was not going to happen. Um. So yeah. So the big news and I would say shocking news this past week is that Disney announced the Star Wars Galactic Star Cruiser, aka the Star Wars Hotel, is permanently closing at the end of September this year. So it will be have been open just about a year and a half. Um. And that news came out like right after they announced that they're canceling the Lake Nona project, which was going to be this big development in Florida, move all the Imagineers from California to Florida. I'm not surprised they canceled that because it seemed like none of the Imagineers wanted to move to Florida. Yeah. And so I, I'm not surprised that that eventually, you know, got canceled. They're not moving forward with that. I think that was something Bob Chapek wanted to do. I don't think Bob Iger was a huge fan of that. Um, but then, yeah, shortly after that, the, then announced, hey, by the way, the Star Cruiser is done at the end of September. Um, They're pausing bookings for a week to get everybody rescheduled, and then they're going to open bookings on Friday if you want to try to get a final cruise in. But yeah, kind of uh, surprising news. Or a first cruise in. Yeah, a a first cruise, too. too. Um, But yeah, kind of surprising news, to your point, uh, a little bit disconcerting and kind of like what is going on with Disney? Because Obviously, like Lake Nona, again, they really hadn't started anything. I don't know if there's a lot of popularity behind it, but it seems odd that they are just kind of scrapping something that they spent, my guess, hundreds of millions of dollars on to just kind of say, um, close it permanently. So we're going to take this episode to talk about, you know, what we think maybe was some of the reasons why the Star Cruiser uh, didn't last longer um, and what this kind of means for... Disney in the next few years, it kind of feels like we're going into a bit of a dark period, at least parks related. I I think this announcement does not bode well for any sort of announcements at Destination D23 later this year. Heck, they might even cancel that that's coming up in Orlando because there's been some talk that that they're going to get rid of D23 altogether because a lot of people who worked on D23 were part of the layoff. So it, it does really feel like there's a bit of a sea change happening uh, in the company. And so we kind of wanted to talk about that because I think it, it all kind of ties in uh, and you know maybe some things of what they could potentially do with the Star Cruiser. Because I think one thing that's interesting here is there's been a lot of reports uh, in the past couple of days since they announced uh, the permanent closure that the cast didn't know that like most of the cast found out most of the people who do the bookings found out 10 or 15 minutes before the announcement went out. Um, There's also been reports that Imagineering uh, has been on the star cruiser as recent as last week, working on an updated dinner show, potential changes. They knew they needed to retool some things and the reports are the plan was the end of December. It was going to close for 
refurbishment, not permanently, but for some sort of refurbishment to let the Imagineers kind of change things and then reopen. And then it was decided all of a sudden, no, we're closing it permanently. So it it does feel uh, rather shocking the way this all kind of happened. And say what you want about the Star Cruise. I think a lot of people, you know, are happy this thing, you know, quote unquote, failed because of the price of it. Um, I think a lot of people are saying, hey, we always knew it was never going to last. We always knew it was going to fail. It's too expensive. But I would argue, yeah, maybe it's not going to – you knew it wasn't going to be super successful, but I think to say in a year and a half you're going to close it permanently without any sort of announcement of a change or replacement is Without is retooling very, it. Yeah, it's very different because if, if the price was an issue – you can fix price very easily. So it it feels like there's more going on here that you can't just say, oh, I knew it wasn't going to last. I'm surprised it made it this long. You're not going to put hundreds of millions of dollars into something and then just be like, hey, we're done with it. Yeah, it just feels like they're giving up. And this is where, again, you know, we Joe said that we kind of think that this might be a dark period for the parks coming up. And I think, and just, I feel like right now, it's a dark period for creativity. And this really... This is where I I am so upset because I'm mourning the loss of, you know, unique IP, of unique experience, of things like that because I feel like Disney is going for the proven model. I've said this about their their movies, you know. Did we really need a Frozen 3? I'm sure it'll be spectacular. But do we really need to find out what Anna and Elsa are up to next? No. Frozen 2 left it at a good place. Frozen 1 left it in a good place. We didn't even really need the sequel, although I'm happy we got it because I like that one better. But still, like it just feels like they're regurgitating the same things with the live actions. And then they try this brand new hotel, which is an experience unlike any other experience that you can get in the world where you are fully immersed in this storyline and you're able to take on this character that you maybe create or just go and and just observe it you don't have to really larp is if you don't want to if you just want to be a casual observer that's fine too but this is an experience that doesn't exist anywhere else um in a way it, it's it's like westworld like if you've watched the show westworld you know without the murder and the terrible things happening it is like that where you can be something different and so there's so many benefits to that and it's so interesting of an experience. That's why I ranked it as my number one Disney experience a few weeks back when we we did our, I think, what was it, five-year-long... Our 250th episode. Yeah, yeah. Our, our 250th episode. I ranked that above doing the Dopey. Like, I just... The Star Cruiser was so... It was different. It was, different. It, to your point, it was something like, unlike anything you've ever seen before. And I think people that have been fortunate enough to have gone have all said the same thing it is unlike anything you've ever done it is the 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 biggest risk disney has ever taken yeah. uh you know is it perfect no but it mm-hmm. is it's an experience that you've never gotten in a theme park before and i think everybody has said that and i think a lot of people that are knocking it are people obviously that have not gone obviously the price is a lot it's an easy thing to say yeah. hey look how expensive it is and i think that is an easy excuse to be like oh it's too expensive um and i think that's part of it you bring I mean, up a- they, they still do adventures by disney that's super expensive well, too that that's where you know it, it comes into and and you bring up a good point of creativity and i think there's a, a couple things happening and it's that's kind of a theme i think we'll tie into because i think some of the issues that Disney is having, which I think are going to be 
impacting the parks in terms of not as much new stuff in the parks, I think are some of the reasons why you're seeing a quote unquote lack of creativity because of their financial position. And some of the financial constraints they're going under, I think they have to go with what they know is going to work. And I think they're they're taking less risk because they have they're so overextended to a certain extent with streaming. And we'll get into this a little bit more, but they have to spend so much money that they can't really risk a lot. And I, and that is, you know, one of the things I, I think with them canceling this is I think even as they do build new attractions and things, I think Imagineering is going to be very hesitant to try something new. I mean, Harmonious is a similar thing. Say what you want about Harmonious. It was definitely a risk. It was definitely a big swing on Imagineering. It was a good show. I think the problem was those barges looked horrible Yeah. 99% of the day. They worked well and the show was good, but the problem was you had to have those barges out there. And that's another show that, again, they probably spent tens of millions, if not $100 million on that. And again, within a year and a half, not saying we're going to try a new show, just they rip the barges out completely and they're gone. So it seems like Disney is, you know, sp- spending a lot of money and losing a lot of money on some things. And again, we'll, we'll kind of get into some more of this uh, as we go on. But I, I think, you know, talking about the Star Cruiser specifically and maybe what didn't work. Again, I think price is an easy excuse here, but I think the the point of it being so immersive and it being so different, I, I almost wonder if the marketing of it kind of doomed it from the beginning because it, it's, it's so hard to explain. It's not like, hey, Guardians of the Galaxy, it's a new roller coaster, come ride it. Everybody gets that immediately. You cannot explain this very easily and it's almost like because they were the first people in the world to do this sometimes that's an advantage but a lot of times that's not an advantage i mean you look at myspace myspace was one of the first social medias it didn't last very long facebook overtook it immediately because at first people were like social media what is this i don't get it but by I, time fa- i didn't have a myspace right. and we were we were like the key demographic yeah. i think but by the time facebook came around it was social media was more popular everybody gets it and i kind of feel like you have this hotel It's very hard to describe to people. It's very hard to market to people for the price. People aren't going to want to spend that much on something they're not sure about. But I think in a decade, if Universal tries this with Harry Potter or Disney tries this with another property, it'll be a lot easier to explain it. And I think it'll be more successful because of that. Not necessarily that it's even better, but I think the fact that just more people are familiar with it. Right. And I think, I mean, that is part of my mourning of this whole thing, because I've definitely been mourning the loss of the Star Cruiser this week. Ever since they announced it, I've been kind of like not in a great mood. And it is, I feel like, you know, like a friend is dying. Like I, I, it is, it's hard to explain because it was such a pivotal experience. And like being a Disney fan, this to me was just the pinnacle of anything that they've ever done. And so the, the fact that they're getting rid of it just doesn't doesn't sit well with me. But, you know, you are right. Like, people need to be able to experience it. And I, I am mourning the fact that they can't. But for me, we made friends on the Star Cruiser because it removed a lot of the barriers that you run into as an adult. Finding people that you have commonality with, finding people that you know, hey, like, you know, you're approachable. We can we can come up to you. We know we have stuff in common. That's really hard to do as an adult. But because we kept seeing them day after day, we ended up approaching and they ended up approaching us and we ended up coming away we like with friends from the Star Cruiser. And that is 
really something special, especially, like I said, as an adult. And then also it gets you to come out of your shell. Like I think most, a lot of people are introverts to an extent. And for me, I was really nervous about the whole situation. And as we kind of played through the storyline, I opened up more and more and was more and more willing to go along with it. And I felt like it really expanded my boundaries. And again, those are things you can't quantify in marketing. Yeah. And and I almost wonder if, you know, they, they sold it on extremely immersive. And I almost wonder, that's kind of a double-edged sword of there's going to be certain people that are really going to want that and, and really into role-playing. And there's going to be a lot of people that aren't. And, and a lot of the early reports were, hey, if you fully commit, you're going to love it. Uh, if you don't, it is going to seem overpriced. I almost wonder if they would have been better off having characters, almost like a murder mystery party where you're assigned a character, you're given a small backstory. So let's say you're a huge Star Wars fan. You can name every planet. You've seen all the shows. You can kind of come in with your own backstory, but maybe you have some members of your family that don't know a lot about Star Wars. Give them, hey, you're you're a a fighter pilot from... you know, Jakku or whatever, like give them some basic information. So whenever you have interactions, you can even have your little card there and they can say, Hey, where are you from? Oh, I'm from here. And you know, like I, I know a little bit about this planet. I know a little bit about my backstory because once you have some initial interactions, you get into it, your backstory doesn't really matter that much anymore. No. But I, I feel like they might've needed something like that. Like they need it. Like they might need, you know, levels to it. Um, and again, I think some of that kind of you know comes into marketing. I, I do think the fact that I think this was Bob Chapek's idea, uh, sadly, I think yeah. kind of hurts because it is weird that they even built this thing. I mean, they announced it. We had a pandemic. They could have easily canceled it yeah. three years ago. But you know, I think Chapek saw it and was like, we're going to get a lot of money out of this. We're going to move forward with it. It does seem like they're kind of cutting ties with everything Chapek does. I-, I wonder if that plays into it. I do also wonder if I was you know, watching uh, some videos on YouTube. There's been a lot of people talking about it on YouTube and I'm reading the comments and you know, some people commented about the price, obviously, but mentioning and comparing it to, hey, I could stay for a week at Disney World doing this or, you know, for this price, or I, you know, I could stay at the Grand Floridian and all this sort of stuff. And it got me thinking that I wonder if the fact that they built this in Disney World hurt it. I understand they built it in Disney World because you want it in Disney World. You want it tied to Galaxy's Edge. But I wonder if that hurt it because, you know, one comment basically said, who wants to spend you know, the amount of money that they could for a week on a two-day trip. And you kind of do get a bit of FOMO if you're flying down to Disney World. Mm -hmm. All you're doing is a star cruiser and you have to leave because, again, it is so expensive. And I almost wonder, it's like, if people look at that, they're comparing the two. And so now it's, do I go to Disney World with my family for a week or do do I do the star cruiser? They're competing with themselves. Right. And so I almost wonder if they would have been better off They've, you know, we've done many shows where Disney was going to build a park in Virginia and Disney was going to build a park in St. Louis or whatever. Mm-hmm. It's indoors. They could have they built, built it anywhere. They could have built it in Antarctica. Right. Would it would it have done better in say like New York City, where yeah. theater and immersive experience is much more popular? I almost think it would maybe even have done better in California, not necessarily at Disneyland, 
um, but maybe up near like San Francisco where Lucasfilm Skywalker ranches have that be. So you go, you do a star Wars experience and then you get a day, a special behind the scenes at Lucasfilm or Skywalker ranch. Again, three, 400 people max are in this thing. They could have very easily done that. I think people would have been way more excited about that. And then it doesn't become, it's either, you know, my Disney world trip is either this or this. It becomes to your point, like an adventures by Disney. I'm going to go do this and I can still go to Disney world because it's a different thing. Now it's not in my mind, you know, it's not just a theme park experience. It's now becomes two separate things. Imagine if they incorporated Skywalker Ranch in the story somehow. I mean, well, yeah, t- people yeah, tie would lose in. Exactly. their minds yeah. to actually be on the set and then also be a part of a new story. And that also, I mean, is part of the value of this thing is just that you get to step out of your life and you aren't you <laughs> like you are somebody else. And I think that the, the part about that, that it, it is so nice to kind of just walk around and if you choose to like pretend to be somebody else for a little bit, that's, that's fun. Like it's fun to just do something different. One last thing I, I want to say about the star cruiser of maybe improvements, maybe reasons why I wasn't as successful um, over on YouTube, fresh baked uh, over on YouTube it had a, the kind of their thoughts on it. And he mentioned, you know, they sold it as a game, as an immersive experience, but there's no stakes to it. You know, when you're playing a game, there's winners, there's losers. Everybody understands that sports, board games, whatever. And there needs to be stakes associated with it. And he brought up a good point, And I completely agree. Have it. End, we, I think said this yeah, actually have it end differently. So if you have, uh, you know, one cruise where there's a large faction of first order people, let them win in the end. Yeah. Let them succeed in commandeering the ship and have it be more important on what you do. Um, Basically because, gamify it. I yeah, mean, because because then it gets you excited to come back because then you go, oh, wait, I didn't get to see that other ending. I, I need to see that. I think the other thing is they almost needed to spend, um, and he said this too, they almost need to spend more money and have more actors because then you could have more side stories that then it becomes more difficult to see everything in one trip. You can have more side stories. You could also, I feel like if you have more actors and more side stories, you could basically reward people for multiple voyages by, okay, the, your first voyage, you're doing the main story. The second voyage, the side characters will start interacting with you more because they know you've already been there. And then you get into deeper stories that you only get to on your second or third voyage. And again, just to kind of get the rewritability because you know, at the end of the day, this thing was built pretty small. Yeah, They maybe need 300 people, 400 people a cruise. Based on the number of cruises they're doing, they only needed like 60,000 people, 70,000 people a year to do this. I get where people are saying of it's expensive. There's not that many fans that are going to do this, but 20 million people go to magic kingdom every year. They needed 60,000, you know, to go and do this experience, which it's not that many people. Now, granted, maybe there wasn't that many people that wanted to do this, but it's not like they you know, needed millions and millions of people for this thing to be successful. So I think doing some of those things would get people excited to come back you know, more than once, which I think could have potentially helped. Yeah, I completely agree with that. And kind of, you know, we've drawn this, this parallel a couple times, but the closest thing that we've ever done to the Star Cruiser is Sleep No More in New York City. And just kind of revisiting your point about how they actually could almost employ more actors. 
they had a lot of different stories. Now, everyone would meet up at, I think it was like every hour. It was like a three, four hour long experience. And then from there, different things would happen. And there were, I, I forget how many characters. I think there were like 14 characters or something that we figured out. And each one had their own storyline going and on. And some of them didn't even tie into the main story. That's what mm-hmm. I'm saying. Like You could follow a side character that never really tied into the main story um, so again, if it's if you went multiple times, maybe one time you follow the main story, one time you don't follow. Uh, and I think that's just another reason why, again, maybe you, if you were to put this thing in New York City, again, people yeah. it people kind of understand what this is a little bit better, you know, that that you might have, it might have been an easier sell. I, I, I'm not sure. Yeah, I think that you're right, because I think that people you go into Disney with certain expectations. So if they took it out of Disney and they let it live in one of the places where there's flourishing, like a flourishing arts scene and particularly acting. And even just, and even just to disconnect it from the theme parks, even just to disconnect it from my Disney trip. I think that that would be valuable, but I I don't think that it would do as well if you put it in like St. Louis though. I think it needs to be one of these cultural meccas where acting and things is really big. Plus it helps with the, the, like attracting actors to want to come there. They can still do other auditions while they're, they're at, you know, doing the star. I think California probably made the most sense. It didn't really need to be tied into galaxy's edge. You put this thing in California, you have an excursion to, Lucasfilm, some sort of behind-the-scenes special thing with that. You're going to get every Star Wars fan excited just because they're going to get to go do something special at Lucasfilm that it's just a bonus to be a part of this experience. And then it also would have given you more flexibility. It wouldn't have had to have been tied into the sequel trilogy because it, it doesn't tie into Galaxy's Edge. You could have switched it up. Sometimes Mando's there. Sometimes Darth Vader's there. So now you got to go back because there's going to be different people there every time. Like, I, I almost think the decision to put it in Disney World, put it next to Galaxy's Edge, was probably the thing that doomed it from the start because it locked them in so much that they had to have certain characters, they had to have certain beats tie in. And again, then it became this competition between, well, do I go to Disney World with my family or do I do the Star Cruiser? And if I do the Star Cruiser, I kind of feel like I'm missing out on doing everything else at Disney being down there. You can't get Gideon's cookies when you're on the Star Cruiser. That's all I'm saying. Maybe or if they would have had Gideon's cookies in space. That would have been awesome. They would have They would have done Gideon's this. Gideon's in space. I love it. All right, we'll talk about what we think Disney could potentially do with the Star Cruiser. Hopefully they don't just like let it sit there and mothball this thing and tear it down. We'll get to that in a second, but let's talk about why we think this does not bode well for the future of Disney. We talked about Lake Nona. We talked about the Star Cruiser. The other piece of news is Disney is announcing that they are getting rid of, I think, 40 shows is, I think, the number now. Um, They're just completely getting rid of them from Disney Plus and Hulu, and they said they're taking a $1.5, I think, to $2 billion charge because of this, and it shows like Willow, The World According to Jeff Goldblum, um, The Mysterious Benedict Society. Um, They're also having the uh, Marvel, the music of Wakanda Forever, which I'm surprised that's just going away as well. Um, Some shows on Hulu as well. So it seems like they are just kind of you know cutting costs that sort of thing it really what i think this all boils down to is is money i think you kind of got to follow the money with this i think 
streaming has turned on them. It was all about get as many people as possible on streaming. And then all of a sudden, it became streaming has to be profitable. And that's what cost Bob uh, Chapek. I almost said Bob Iger. That's what cost Bob Chapek his job. And I think Iger's turning it around. And I think they're trying to do whatever they can do to make the investors happy. And I think what you're seeing is all this stuff's closing. The Star Cruiser is closing this fiscal year, the end of September. So I think the final quarter of the year when they release their numbers, they can say we took you know, a $2 billion charge on all these Disney Plus shows. We took you know, a couple hundred million dollar charge on closing down the Star Cruiser. All this stuff we wrote off Harmonious. All the bad news is out of the way. Sure, we lost $3 billion this year, but it's because we wrote off all the stuff that wasn't working. It's only uphill from here. And as weird as it sounds, the investing community, sometimes they like that. They don't like the overhang of poor performing assets of you don't know, is it how is it going to make money? Is it going to make enough money? They kind of like certainty. So if you can tell them, hey, all that stuff that wasn't doing well, it's gone. We wrote it off. Even though like it's billions and billions of dollars, they're kind of almost happy that you're just like, well, it's done and we move forward. So I think you know that is really what it comes down to uh, is that is trying to get the investment community happy and two, just the massive amount of debt that Disney has that they need to pay off. I mean, in 2018, they had $17 billion of long-term debt. They then you know, purchased Fox. We went through a pandemic. They took on debt. Their debt peaked at $54 billion in 2020. So you know, went from $17 billion in 2018 to two years later, went to $54 billion. It now sits at $45 billion. So that is a huge chunk of money they have to pay. Um, and streaming is still losing uh, the past two quarters combined, it lost close to $2 billion. So I think $1.1 billion was the previous quarter. And then just this most recent quarter was like $650, $660 million. So I think that is where why all this stuff is happening because theme parks make money and they are taking that money to fund streaming. Okay, so here's the thing. Then do something with streaming. Don't don't take it out on the, the theme parks. Don't let the theme parks pay for streaming. I feel like this is something that they should have known because I think that for a while there, and again, you can speak to this more than I can because I don't pay attention to finance like you do, but I know that there were issues sometimes even with Netflix. Netflix wasn't producing enough money. They were losing subscribers, and Netflix was the first to market, so you would think that they would, or at least probably one of the first to market, so you would think that they would kind of have an advantage and Disney could have looked at that and said you know what maybe streaming isn't something that we should get into maybe we'll just sell our stuff to streaming well it's interesting you bring up Netflix because I think Netflix is the reason why Disney got into streaming in the first place because and and even like the metaverse you know Chapek was talking about the metaverse and so I think it's very interesting that it kind of tells if you you know kind of read between the lines what management was thinking because again with with all of these companies public companies most of the time all they care about is what their stock price is and getting their stock price as high as possible and it it happened with the car companies you saw tesla come in tesla sold like you know five cars i mean that's obviously an exaggeration but they were worth more money than all of the other major automakers combined ford GM, Chrysler, all of them combined who sell millions and millions of cars a year. And so they looked at it and they go, well, why is Tesla worth more than us? Well, they make electric cars. So I guess we're all going to make electric cars now. And I think that's why now you see everybody's just making electric cars. And I don't think they're necessarily doing it because 
people want that many electric cars. I mean, obviously people do. Um, you know, it's it's better for the environment than gasoline for um, emissions and stuff. But like, I think they're looking at it as well. We want to trade at the same multiple. We want to be worth the same amount and Tesla we, is. We want to be perceived as trendy. Right. Exactly. And so I think Disney saw the same thing. Disney is a you know hundred year old company that makes tremendous ip that has insane value and they're getting value like a traditional media company their stock price is trading at a lower multiple than netflix to your point which did not make a lot of money and was worth way more than what it made now it's not worth more than disney but um, proportionally its stock price was trading way more than what it earned so i think disney looked at that and went well, we should become a streaming company. Look at Facebook and look at Google. They they trade at such high multiples. Let's become a tech company and become a streamer and the metaverse and all this sort of stuff. And I think it's similar to what you see with the with the automakers. They got caught up in we want to make our stock price better. And it worked for a while. I mean, Disney's stock price shot up whenever Disney Plus came out because they were seen as a, as a streamer. And then it again, it all kind of turned that well, now you actually have to make money on streaming. And I think that's where Disney got caught up, where they looked at it as, you know, we've run the Disney Channel. We know how to make you know TV shows. We've, we can produce movies. But streaming is a different ballgame. I mean, if you look at the amount of content you kind of need, and I think this is the problem, and them having two streaming services, I think, just amplifies this. Like, if you fill like the Disney Channel, if you came up with new programming 24-7, 365 days a year, which doesn't happen because you have reruns and stuff, you need about 8,800 hours of programming in a year to fill that. That's kind of what they're used to. Netflix has over 40,000 hours of content. So that's what you're competing with when now when you jump into streaming. Disney Plus is only at about 4,500 hours. So that's, that's what you're competing with. You now have to feel like you need to spend billions and billions of dollars to make thousands of hours of content because the fe- the the fear is and the mindset is if you don't have 40,000 hours of content you're going to lose subscribers and you need to have those subscribers. So I think going back to your point on creativity I think this is why you see Disney trying to go with tried and true because they need they can't waste a lot of money. I also think this is why you see some Lack of quality in stuff like we talked about Marvel, are they kind of slipping a little bit? Because they, I think they're being pushed and pressured to greenlight so many shows on Disney Plus. Because if you don't have a new Marvel show coming out every couple of months, gonna lose we're going to lose subscribers. And we need to have all those subscribers because, you know, they used to make a lot of money in movies. They used to make a lot of money on TV selling Blu rays, but now nobody's buying those. You're getting $4 a month from people, you know, on average to subscribe to Disney Plus. So you cannot lose them because it's very easy for them just to say, I'm done. Here's my question then why are they cutting content? Why would they choose to say, here are 40 shows we're getting rid of because they have those and hours of entertainment. People can stumble into those and it might engage them. So what's the purpose of them cutting those shows? Because it doesn't really look good either. Yeah, I mean, they basically said they're cutting these shows because the cost of storing the digital copies for people to download and the cost of royalties and residuals, whatever they have to pay, outweighs the money they're making on them. I mean, a lot of them are not highly viewed shows. I mean, at the end of the day. Um, so I think that comes into it. I think, you know, what the problem is, is again, they're trying to make these very expensive scripted shows. Like if you look at how Netflix has moved in terms of modeling, they do a lot more, um, acquiring shows from internationally, which tend to be much cheaper. And they do a lot more reality reality TV, which is a lot cheaper. 
Disney's trying to produce, again, three or four Marvel shows, which are basically like movie budgets. They're trying to do three or four Star Wars shows, which, again, are like movie budgets. I think this is kind of why you're seeing you know, the Star Wars movie that's going to wrap up the Mandoverse they're talking about as a movie with a theatrical release because they're not going to make their money back selling this on Disney Plus, where, again, they, you know, they, they probably make about $8 billion in revenue based on the number of subscribers and the average monthly amount they get. Overall, Disney's spending $33 billion on content. Now, that includes like ESPN, movies, all that sort of stuff. But I, I don't think that $8 billion is replacing what they used to get by selling Marvel shows to Netflix, you know, putting them on TV channels where they get ad revenue, you know, selling Blu-rays uh, and things like that. I, I have to imagine they're making a lot less. And I think they are struggling with this. And I think to me, as I was thinking about it more, it almost seems like, yeah, Disney Plus may have been a bad move. Maybe they should yeah. have made Disney Plus a, you know, five, $10 a month thing where they just put all their movies and it kind of just becomes like a Disney vault. All the movies are there. They're not really worrying about producing a lot of original content that's costly. If they do that, that's going to go on a TV ch station um, where, again, they know that model. Or we're going to sell that to Netflix where, again, they know they're going to get X dollars to make this show so they have a budget. I think they're kind of somewhat undisciplined financially now because they have no model, I think, on how much they're going to make. So if you, know, you want to make Loki Season 2 – do you spend $100 million on it? Do you spend $50 million on it? If Netflix says we'll give you $10 million an episode, boom, you have a budget. If it's on Disney+, Plus, I don't know how they're allocating that revenue. And so I think you can very easily say, well, it's got to be good, so we just need to spend, 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 and not really be kind of disciplined in the fact of, like when they made Daredevil on Netflix, we got to make it for the budget we have to make it for. And I think because of that, you're getting this pullback in the parks. And I, I really think... You know, we've talked about this. They don't have a lot of stuff announced for Disney World, for the parks. Hopefully they announce some stuff, but I, I really don't think they can at this point because they have to cover these losses. Yeah, and also they're not very incentivized to do it because, again, the past couple years when we visited the parks, they are packed. I mean, every day is seems to be like they are getting more guests on average than I feel like they ever did before. And so... You have to look at it from their perspective. Well, we can continue to pump in money. We can continue to bring in new rides. Who? But we are just going to, you know, add to the number of people coming. But people are coming anyway. So why do we need to spend these millions of dollars updating and replacing and creating new things when it's working as is? So we can just kind of sit back and collect. Yeah, and again, it goes back to it becomes a risk. And are they going to become more risk adverse when Harmonious didn't work? Enchantment didn't work. The Star Cruiser's closing. Like, they're spent a lot of money on these things. And and the new rides that they have built, I mean, the the rumored budgeted cost of Guardians of the Galaxy was four to five hundred million dollars for a roller coaster, which seems insane. And I'm sure they got a slight uptick in attendance, but I can't imagine that they're making that big of a jump in attendance over at Epcot for a $500 million attraction. So I, I do think they are going to be a little bit more conservative. Again, they're not going to want to take risks on something new that's untested. To your point, if people are coming no matter what, whether they build new rides or not, why do you need to spend four to $500 million and seven to eight years 
to build these things. It, it seems like when, again, you need billions of dollars now immediately to cover these streaming losses so that they can figure this out. They can kind of reset and understand what do we need to price this at to make money? How much content do we really need to make? Um, they need to kind of cover this debt. They're apparently, I think, sounds like they're moving forward with buying Hulu in January, which is going to be $9 billion that they need or somewhere around there. So pretty soon they're going to need $9 billion here. And so where are you going to get that from? You're going to get that from your money makers, the parks and those type of things. So again, if people are coming and you don't have to put more money into it, take money from it because you need to buy Hulu now. But here's my question. I mean, you have to imagine there's somebody behind the scenes saying, oh, Hulu is definitely something that like they're a partial stakeholder in Hulu. Is that correct? Well, so that's the thing. They own, I think, like 70% of it somewhere around there. Comcast owns the other portion. But as part of the deal, Comcast can force them to buy it at a certain valuation come January. Like they're almost going to have to buy it. There was Okay, so they're... There wasn't like a, hey, we want this. It's a, hey, you kind of have to. Well, they wanted it. Uh, I mean, again, when they bought uh, Fox, that's what gave them majority control of Hulu. And that's where they got into this agreement with Comcast. Because again, three, four years ago, it was streaming is the future, streaming at all costs. We just need subscribers. We don't care what it costs. It looked like a good deal at that point. And now it's, we got to be profitable, that sort of thing. Um, So, you know, there was talk a few months ago that, Maybe Comcast would just buy Hulu from Disney. They would go the other way. Um, but Bob Iger you know, was talking the last quarter that they're going to now blend at some time this year Disney Plus and Hulu into one streaming service. They're still going to have them separate, but you can get them together if you want them. Um, so it sounds like if they're going that route that they're definitely planning to buy this remaining portion from Comcast because you're going to want to own 100% of it. But again, it's going to be billions of dollars for them to do that. But is that just a perception thing? Like, hey, we're going to make it look like this is this is a, an intentional move because we have no choice? Because I'm just trying to figure out what the upside is for Disney in acquiring Hulu. Because as we're kind of talking, there has to be some sort of hidden advantage to having streaming services when but it doesn't it's not apparent like yeah i mean i think in their mind i think streaming still the future and i do think i do think merging them into one streaming service makes a lot of sense because again like what what we've been talking about what they're up against netflix forty thousand hours of content disney plus forty five hundred hours of content it takes a lot of money to produce content for a streaming service the fact that they have two streaming services so now you kind of have two subpar streaming services because now their resources are spread thin across both that if you combine them and you just have one and it's kind of difficult to do if Comcast owns a portion of Hulu, but if you can merge those into one streaming service. So now you, you buy as a consumer, you buy one service, you have all of your Disney content, you have all of Nat Geo, you have all of your Hulu shows that's a much better value proposition. I think it's similar to what you're seeing. It's very similar modeled with what um, HBO and Warner Brothers did when Discovery bought Warner Brothers. They went through, they did a similar thing. I mean, Westworld is not available on HBO anymore. They're writing all this stuff off. They're going to sell it to other smaller streaming services to try to recoup some money from it um, at that point. But HBO, they're changing it now that it's going to include Discovery um, content on there. They're still going to have Discovery Plus, I think, as a separate streaming service. But now you're going to get, you know, Chip and JoJo are going to be part of HBO. So you're going to have all your HBO stuff, and you're going to have stuff from Discovery, which again makes it a better value proposition. Um, so I think that's 
where Disney's mind is, is we need to combine this so that, that way we can just make content for one service and keep people interested by having, you know, instead of having to keep new shows on two streaming services, you just keep it on one. Yeah, I, I think that sometimes too, you know, my issue and my issue the past several days that I've kind of struggled with is I sort of personify Disney. I kind of view it as almost like this very benevolent person who is sort of looking out for people trying to bring them joy through the parks through the content that they create through the movies and so when I see them doing things that you know they're closing the star cruiser which yeah okay for the consumer that really is stinks but there are people who work there there are actors that work there that have these really spectacular jobs like I'm not an actor but I can imagine that that would be really fun to do because you're not boxed in with lines and you have to improv and you have to remember and you have to be really sharp to do that and it takes a certain like a, a lot of talent I to be able to be one of these actors that plays one of the roles on the Star Cruiser I mean I was looking over like kind of checking some of like the the people that were on the Star Cruiser with us the actors that we found afterward and I saw on um the story of one of the guy, the guy who plays one of, he didn't play Wraith Cole for us, but he, um, somebody said, you know, I was supposed to go up to you when you, and, and say a certain key phrase, a password in order to say that I wanted to join you. And I had an opportunity and I missed it. And then you came up to me at dinner and you found me and you asked me if I if I knew the password and she's like, and I was so nervous, I couldn't say it to you, but you turned around so I could say it to the back of your head. And like that level of just, you know, thinking, how can I make somebody comfortable? I mean, that's really high level. So I, I'm just really, I'm upset to see those people lose their job. They are providing a benefit to the people that are going there and touching lives. And it's just, it's so hard. And then, you know, when it comes to the, the things that they're cutting from streaming, again, it doesn't look good because they're not paying those royalties for the people who worked on those shows that are kind of hoping for those passive checks to keep coming in after they've made their creation. And again, like to me, HBO doing that, that's one thing. HBO's a company. Disney's not a company to me, you know? So yeah. it's, it's and, disappointing. Yeah. And I think that's changed. And I think even, you know, when Bob Iger came back, he, you know, he even said, I'm here two years and kind of the charge was when I need to find a successor, but two, I need to get Disney on the right track for the future. And I think it's interesting that all this is happening basically at their 100th anniversary. Because it's it's rare that companies, one, last 100 years. But there's not many companies that last you know past 100 years like that. Like it, it's, yeah. it's rare that you last this long. So I do think it's interesting that they are, I think, kind of viewing this as we need to set ourselves up for the next 100 years. And I think we are in this kind of like growing pains thing because the world's changing around them. I do think they, they got caught off guard where they thought, Oh, streaming is just like all this other stuff we do that we're good at. And then it turned out, well, it's really not, it's kind of different and maybe they you know weren't fully equipped on it. And I do think, I mean, some of it, I think, sadly, is just accounting. We're getting caught up in accounting issues, which I like as an accountant. <laughs> makes sense to me. But like some of the stuff, like with these write-offs on the programs, to your point, you know, they're not paying residuals. Um, you know, th that is kind of like a crappy move on their part. But like they're writing it all off now. But then if they sell it to another streaming service later, 
then it's just like pure profit for them. So again, they can kind of say, we had this huge write-off this year, which sometimes Wall Street, they don't care about because they see it as, all right, you got rid of all the bad news. And then if next year they go and they turn and they sell uh, The World According to Jeff Goldblum pops up on Netflix and they sell it to Netflix for $20 million, boom, that's $20 million in their pocket that is just pure earnings because they already wrote off that asset. It actually does seem kind of like a Netflix show. Because it, it, I, I it kind it of is. goes in the vein of, hey, there are these pop culture things because they have a bunch of those shows and they interview experts. Yeah. And so I feel like that show well, kind of goes with that. You know, there, there's talk. And, and when Iger came back, there was talk of, is Apple going to buy Disney? Because he talked about it in his memoir that if Steve Jobs was still alive, he probably would have sold Disney to Apple because they were so close. And so people are saying, oh, is it going to happen again? I, I mean, I almost think... Maybe not selling the whole company, but to your point on should they have gotten into streaming and, and all this sort of stuff, what we've been talking about, it, to me, it almost seems like they should have gone to a strategic partner and Apple may make sense where it's like Apple's got a ton of money and they want to, they have billions of people with their devices. Just make content for Apple. Again, kind of do it in the model that, that you know how to do. You know how to, you know how to produce content, you know how to create it. But maybe the streaming distribution isn't your strong suit. So have Apple say, we'll pay you $5 billion a year to make content. And then you just make the the best quality shows. And if that's five shows, whatever. I mean, Apple has like one show out every six months. It's not like they really care you know, <laughs> how often they're having shows come out. But almost have a strategic outlet for your original stuff. And then just make this Disney Plus again. Make it just like a a better Disney channel where you can just go get all your nostalgia. You can just go get all the movies that have come out theatrically. So instead of buying a Blu-ray, you can just stream them whenever you want and make some behind the scenes stuff. Again, cheap stuff, more like reality TV. Not that like behind the scenes is reality TV in the way you think of like yeah. Vanderpump it's, rules or something like that. But you're showing your, your age. How about love is blind? No, Vanderpump rules is, is there, it still happening? Yeah. There's some controversy too about this last season. I don't watch it. I just saw that there was controversy. So, um, okay. but, but drop that. I really don't watch, it. but drop that on Disney plus and then yeah, sell your original stuff to, you know, Apple or whatever. So uh, I think, yes, yeah, something like that. May, a strategic partner may have made more sense. Yeah. It still I, may. It's It still may make sense. Yeah. A smart person knows when they don't know. <laughs> and it does seem like they, they're a little Icarus like here. They flew a little too close to the sun and now they're trying to kind of pull back and it is really, it's hard because now they've, they've kind of committed to all of this. So, you know, selling to Apple would have maybe been a better move. But I, I think that where they really kind of they're kind of getting themselves in trouble too, which kind of goes along with that. They're trying to be everything to everyone. And I think that they just need to kind of back off and do what they do well and do that. So let, let's get into maybe what's next for the Star Cruiser. And I will throw this out there. If any of our listeners are maybe not accountants for Disney, but you understand the accounting a little bit more of like theme parks, Hollywood, um, I am interested. Message Joe directly, not me. Yeah, I, t- you can reach out on on our website enchantedears.com. Send us a message, uh, or uh, send us a message on Instagram at enchantedears podcast. Because I am interested with some of the rationale behind this of like the write offs and things. Because I have to imagine them closing the Star Cruiser, they're going to be able to write off all the tech. And again, it has to be hundreds of millions of dollars that they spend on this, which I actually think may help them to a certain extent. Like we were talking about with writing off these shows. Okay, if we write off you know, uh, the, word, the world according to Jeff Goldblum and then we sell it to Netflix, it's pure profit. I think one of the things is 
one, it definitely costs more to run the Star Cruiser because of all the actors and that sort of thing. But also all the overhead you had to recover. Again, they they the technology and the scheduling system they designed was was not cheap, and so you basically have to recover all of those costs. But by writing it off and saying, "Hey, this this thing failed, it closed. We're just going to take a hit," it kind of frees them up to almost do whatever they want because now they don't have that. They don't have to recoup those costs. They don't have that overhang of you know trying to recover. You know who knows. 30 million, $100 million worth of cost for all that tech, they can kind of just do whatever they want. So to some extent, it may be why they said they're closing it instead of just doing this like retooling that Imagineering was talking about because they could maybe come back with a new story and, and call it something different. Um, but again, it won't have like that drag of having to recover those costs on there. Um, accounting's weird. Let's just, let's just put it that way. Accounting... <laughs> Accounting is is uh is very odd. I could probably talk about accounting a lot though because there's nobody wants that. There's some weird people rules. might listen to this on their way to work and they would probably fall asleep at the wheel and you would be responsible. I just want you to know. So no, there's probably an accounting podcast though out there that that would make sense. But but yeah, so let's that's let's, that most people use that to go to sleep. All right, whatever. Hey, <laughs> a listener is a listener. If you ask me, I just care about download numbers. All right, but let's talk about uh, a couple things that we maybe think could be next for the Star Cruiser. Because again, I, I really hope that they don't just tear this thing down or, or again, never reopen it. Well, I mean, I just let me kind of jump in here because in their press release, Disney said Star Wars Galactic Star Cruiser is one of our most creative projects ever and has been praised by our guests and recognized for setting a new bar for innovation and immersive entertainment. This premium boutique experience gave us the opportunity to try new things on a smaller scale of 100 rooms. And as we prepare for its final voyage, we will take what we've learned to create future experiences that can reach more of our guests and fans. Yeah, I kind of think that's them just saying it was too expensive. <laughs> and so we're going to make something cheaper next time. And just try to like, you know, make it seem like it was. And I also think, good. you know, I think that wording and that was, you know, in their press release. And I think other people have brought this up. Like, I think it kind of almost made it sound like. Hey, this was just an experiment type yeah. thing, which it wasn't. Like they clearly thought this was going to be around for a long time, and for them to be like, you know, that we we were able to try some different things we wouldn't have been able to try otherwise, and we learned a lot. Like it, it kind of is them trying to put a positive spin on this. Um, but I think there's a couple potential options here. Um, I don't know that any of them are are that great, but uh, there's a lot of talk of oh, just open it up as a hotel, just make it a regular hotel. First of all, it's only a hundred rooms, like you just mentioned, so. It's not going to be a very big hotel. There's no pool. What are you really going to do there? You, obviously, they have a, a place to eat. You could have some experiences, but like, are you going to do bridge training? Are you going to do the lightsaber training? Again, there's not like as amenities like a, another deluxe resort. So I think they could potentially do that. I think they'd have to put some more money in it to add like maybe some more rooms, some amenities and things like that. But I, I don't know that that's a, a huge thing. I do think what they could potentially do is turn this into DVC. I think, yeah. you know, based on um, points, so like the Poly has about 4 million points across 380 rooms. So it's about 10,612 points a room. So at 100 rooms on the Star Cruiser, you're at uh, a million, uh, you're at 1,600,000 points. So if the current price per point is $217 a point, so if they sold out in terms of DVC, that's $230 million. So I think you could make this DVC. Again, it would then kind of run like a hotel, but you could recoup $230 million. So I would not be surprised if 
They sold it as DVC, took that some of that money they get from that to then up the amenities again, maybe put an additional tower in or put a pool in or something like that to make it a normal hotel. I think you're going to have to do something like that because I think the other thing is, you know, you could make it a dinner show. If you look at like Hoopty Doo Review, the cost for that, which is a, a you know a kind of interactive dinner show, it's sixty six to seventy four dollars per adult or thirty nine to forty four dollars per child, and they do three shows a day. Now the Star Cruiser, um, it can fit you know up to five hundred people, but whenever it was at capacity, they would do two uh, dinners because I think you know the the actual seating can probably only hold about 250 to 300 people. So let's say 250 people. Let's say you get about 60% adults in there and you charge them the high price of that. So you charge them $74 and you charge kids $44. If you do three shows a day, you're going to make $46,500. If this, if the, if the star cruiser was booked at 50% capacity at five grand a room, that's $125,000 a day. So you're making less than half of what you made at half capacity. And so I don't know what it costs to run the Star Cruiser. Obviously, if you're just running a dinner show, it's a lot cheaper. But it's like you could make some money there, but that's one room. What are you going to do with the other 80% of the hotel? Like, are you then just going to let people run around in the atrium? Like it. The fact that you have to have the story in there to make most of this stuff make sense, it's kind of like, what do you do? Yeah, you could do a dinner show, and maybe before you come, you can go and play on the bridge, or you could go, you know, play with lightsabers. But you have all those rooms that nobody's going to use. Like it, it seems like it's that would be an odd choice to do. And again, making it a hotel, maybe you make it DVC. That kind of helps keep it a little bit more exclusive because you only have a hundred rooms. Um, and then you can kind of, again, make it a little bit more of an upscale hotel to kind of have some of those add-ons to kind of cater to that crowd. But I, I think you have a lot of limited options here. Yeah, I, I'm not entirely sure what they're going to do with it. I just hope that they don't scrap it and I hope that they don't just let it sit because I do think it is a really cool thing. Do I think that they could have done better with it? Yes. Do I think that they should have made it grander? Yes. But Overall, I just I do think that where it lacks is probably where they said, nope, this is our budget and we're sticking to it. So I, I think that whatever they do with it, they can't just hide it away. Yeah, and they could, I mean, come back in a year and it could be a new story. Maybe they have it as, uh, you know, Darth Vader's on it, like the original trilogy. I mean, they, they could do a different experience because you're going to have to do something that includes the whole hotel i i do worry though if you look at some of disney's history again they just ripped out the harmonious barges the nba experience they tore down disney quest built a whole new building there it lasted i think seven months and then they closed it and the building is just now sitting vacant nothing's happening to it down in downtown disney you know when they closed river country they didn't tear that out or replace anything there it's just still kind of sitting there i mean if you look up abandoned disney i mean all this stuff's there so they kind of have a history of just letting things sit or removing them um so that does give me a little bit of concern of like maybe this is going to sit there a while like what maybe they don't reopen it um i i do hope they reopen it in some capacity because Again, it's a cool space. They spent a lot of money on it. I think it would be neat for people to be able to see it, even if it is just a dinner show and you can kind yeah. of just explore the space. If they can um, make it cheaper and more attainable for yeah. more people to visit, which is sort of what that press release made it sound like, is that they thought it was too premium and so that they wanted to bring that 
what they did there to the masses, that would be really cool. But I just don't want to see it completely cease to exist. Yeah, I almost wonder if another avenue. So maybe what they could do, because again, if you do a dinner show, the rest of the place is is kind of pointless at that point. But I, I almost wonder I could see that they could do a dinner show again, do three, four shows a day, but then they could sell this to companies and conventions. Cause this is something that Epic universe oh, yeah. is talking a lot about where they're very consciously building Epic universe that each land is going to be individual and independent from the other one. So they can very easily say, we're closing this land for the evening because somebody rented out super Nintendo world. Somebody rented out all of the Harry Potter land over there. And Theme parks make a lot of money doing that. You know, you rent out a land. I could potentially see them doing that where, okay, we're going to do a dinner show. That's our common thing. But then, you know, some huge corporation, Coca-Cola is having a retreat. They rent out the Star Cruiser and maybe they have some actors still. Because they did talk about that they're going to try to find other places for the actors. So you could have maybe like a pared down story that again, you, you know, some company pays you know, huge amounts of money because these companies will pay big money for these kind of retreat things that a few hundred people go to. And it's, it's kind of just like a, like a, a, a one like a night, a team building, yeah, a team building thing yeah. or like a mini story that uses the rest of the space. So kind of, you know, daily they're getting a lot of people through here through the dinner show and maybe you get to do some of, of the things, but then they could do like corporate events and stuff at night. And maybe they looked at it and it goes, that's an easier sell for us of, you know, if we can get, four or five companies that come down for conventions to rent this thing out for a couple nights. And then we do dinner shows. We'll make more profit on that than trying to run this as an immersive experience. And it's an easier sell. We don't need as many people to book it all. We don't need to spend money on marketing, that sort of stuff. That would be an interesting play and, and maybe something they could do. That's a good point. I would be happy with that. Although my job would never be one that would ever do anything like that. Yeah. But you can at least maybe again, if they have a dinner show, it's something that, um, like you said, I think a lot of people could do so. All right. Well, that wraps up our show for this week. Again, I think uh, maybe some choppy waters ahead for the theme parks. Disney overall, it'll be interesting to see what happens in the next few months. I am not hopeful for any announcements at Destination D23 this year. Nor am I. I will say that, but uh, we'll, we'll see what happens. So I want to thank everybody again for listening this week. If you've not done so, please leave us a rating or a review. Subscribe wherever you get your podcast. It really helps, and we really appreciate it. Thanks for letting us your ears. Have a great week, everybody, and we'll see you here next Monday. Bye-bye.